The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Unlike steamed poppy seed bagels, we are easy to find. We're on Peacock every weekday at 5 Eastern PFT PM, putting a bow on the day that was. Shereen Williams, Mike Florio, week 11. Now, I don't know what mood you're in this week, Shereen. Some weeks you're like, I can't believe it's already week X. Other weeks you're like, oh boy, it really seems like it's been a long time. So how are you feeling this week? Are you amazed at how quickly it's gone or do you believe it's going slowly? No, I, I'm amazed now. I mean, we've hit it. I, I have a hard time thinking about Thanksgiving being next week. Holy cow, we got three games next Thursday. It, it's hard to believe that Thanksgiving's already here. Yes, it seems like the last two or three weeks have really flown by. Actually, we have one game next Thursday and then two scrimmages that nobody's going to care about since it's the Lions <laughs> and the Texans early and then the Cowboys in Washington. That is the ultimate tryptophan coma game. Are you kidding me? This year, these two teams with two wins between them. Although, as I said earlier today, one of these two teams, if they win on Sunday, could be doubling their total wins in just a five-day window, going from 2-7 and seven to 4-7 and seven in theory. At the other end of the spectrum, though, the good teams. The New Orleans Saints, currently 7-3, and three, but without Drew Brees, he was placed on injured reserve today. More on that later. Here's Sean Payton from earlier today talking about who his quarterback will be, and if he has named a starter. Sean, is there anything important from a from a team standpoint, just letting them know who the starter is and announcing it this Friday? Does, does that play a role in it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I think everyone's on the same page. How, how excited are you just as a play caller to, to have him be able to have this opportunity and, and show it what he can? Because it's been a couple of years coming, right? Who, who are we talking about? Because we haven't – I'm sorry, Taysom Hill. Yeah, I'm sorry, too, because I haven't announced that either one of those two are starting. So that was just leaked by someone else, I guess, today? I didn't see today or what you're talking about. Oh, it was, it was just a headline on ESPN that Taysom was, was going to start. Yeah, I didn't see that. And, and again, uh, we've had a good week of preparation, and uh, we're looking forward to the game. Just to clarify, so no, no one has been in to start. Yeah, listen, someone has been named the starter, but uh, we haven't announced it. In other words, get out of here with that. These are not the droids you're looking for, bullcrap. Sean Payton isn't falling for any of it. No Jedi mind tricks. No bananas in the tailpipe. It's not going to work. You're not going to get him to say who the starter is, even though. And it was kind of funny how it happened this morning. First, Ian Rappaport of NFL Media tried to kind of in a hedgy sort of way just two days after he indicated Jason Winston Jameis Winston excuse me would get the bulk of the snaps he flipped it over to suggest that Taysom Hill would be the starter but didn't quite say it unequivocally 
That was chased by Adam Schefter saying it unequivocally, unconditionally, Taysom is the starter, and Jameis Winston had no starter reps in practice this week, Shereen. So the bulk of the reporting points to Taysom Hill. I don't know who's blabbing because it seems like Sean Payton's done a pretty good job of getting everyone to keep their mouths shut. I will not rule out the possibility of Sean Payton being the one behind some of these leaks or the possibility of Sean Payton maybe creating some deliberate misinformation for his own strategic purposes. Uh, He learned well from Bill Parcells, Mike, and he knows how to play this game. And it's sort of the same thing they did last year when Drew Brees was going to miss games and ended up missing five games. And we didn't know initially who was going to start, although we thought it was Teddy Bridgewater. And yeah, I completely agree with you. This very much could be Sean Payton pulling some strings here. I'm not going to be surprised if Taysom Hill starts. I'm not going to be surprised if Jameis Winston starts. And I'm not going to be surprised if Jameis Winston ends up playing more snaps uh, than Taysom Hill does at quarterback. I do think Taysom will play a lot in this game. I think they have to take the bubble wrap at this point. However you play him, you have to play him, and you have to play him a lot. But this, to me, still has a ton of intrigue for uh, this game, how it's exactly going to play out. And I'm not so certain that how it plays out this game is going to duplicate itself next week. Sean Payton's brilliant. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, offensive minds in the NFL right now, and he has a plan for this. And I guarantee you the Saints are going to be competitive in the three games or more that Drew Brees misses. I want to peel back the curtain just a little bit so people understand how the sausage gets made. People do talk. Sometimes people do deliberately spread misinformation. And what's the downside? What happens if Sean Payton gave false information to somebody. What happens if he ends up using Jameis Winston extensively? What's he going to say if the reporter gets mad at him? What's he going to say? Well, I changed my mind. Sorry, you should have checked back with me. I mean, there's no real consequence here if you want to play that card once in a while if the goal is to keep the Falcons flat-footed and unprepared, and I think that's what Peyton wants to do. I can't go too far into the why I know this, But given the way everything happened today and given the way that I was able to get someone's attention and talk this through before the dust really settled on it, I believe it is going to be both. I really do. And I'm not reporting it definitely will be because I think this is an area where I don't think anybody who says absolutely what's going to happen is covered. I think a lot of different things could happen. But right now, I do believe we're going to see both guys. And I think who we see more of is going to be dictated the same way it would be if you had two running backs and one gets the hot hand or one fumbles, right? You're going to see more of the other guy. So I think they've got both ready. I don't care that Taysom got all the reps with the starters and Jameis Winston got all the reps with the backups or whatever reps he would have gotten. Unless he's the scout team quarterback, he's in play. And no one has reported he was the scout team quarterback this week. So that's what I'm keeping an eye on. And, And it's just kind of fun at this point to see how it unfolds and who the starter is and who gets more of the reps and whether anybody is going to care to go back to Friday and pull out the scorecard and see who was right and who was wrong. And here's something else, Mike. Sean Payton said, well, I haven't heard that. I don't read that. Okay, we know Sean Payton reads and sees everything. There may be a handful of guys in the NFL that actually don't do that. 
Sean Payton is not one of those guys. He reads and sees absolutely everything, and he knows. And he, he, like you said, he may have fed the information, but however it came out, he's seen it. He knows what's out there. He knows what the other teams are preparing for who face the Saints in the next three weeks. He's ready for that. So I'm with you. I think we see both quarterbacks. Now, I don't think it's going to be a Tom Landry thing from back in the 1970s when he decided to alternate Craig Morton and Roger Staubach by the snap and then quickly figured out that that wasn't going to work. But I agree with you. The hot hand is going to win the day. Whoever has that hot hand is going to get more reps. You know, it's funny. I had a post yesterday about a film called Braddock that's going to begin production next year. Russell Wilson is the executive producer. It's about Braddock High School in the late 50s. Chuck Klausing was the head coach there. When I was at Carnegie Mellon and he was the coach of the football team, I did not play on it, by the way. I don't want to create the false impression in that regard. It would have been easy to create just that vague impression, but I did not play. I did not attend the games. But they had two separate offenses. And as long as one scored, it stayed on the field punt or a turnover, the the other entire offense went on. What if it's just something like that with the quarterbacks? Hey, as long as you do well, you're staying out there. We're gonna fly. I doubt that Sean Payton would do that, but he could do anything. He's Sean Payton, and whatever he does, we're ultimately going to say, well, he's a genius, so whatever he does must be right. I mean, it, it was funny today to see some of the tweets, kind of like the finger-wagging tweets from reporters covering the team. Well, we should have known this because they paid him $16 million guaranteed, but why the hell weren't you saying it all week then? Why weren't you planting a flag saying it should be Taysom Hill because they paid him all that money? Not once the report comes out. Well, you know, you know, they're paying Taysom Hill. Yeah, it makes sense now. They're paying Taysom Hill all that money. Come on. Now, we were saying earlier this week the depth chart points to Taysom Hill. The money points to Taysom Hill. But everybody thought it was going to be Jameis Winston at that point. Now everybody thinks it's going to be Taysom Hill. I just think I'm going to sit back and enjoy the show and see what happens on Sunday. We're going to talk a lot more about the Saints coming up with Kat Terrell of The Athletic she covers the Saints there, and we will get more information from her to the extent she has any more because the Saints are providing absolutely none at this point. Again, Drew Brees, uninjured reserve as of today, Shereen. Let's put a button on this. I don't know why they waited until today. I think there was some internal tug of war, first opinion, second opinion. Brees didn't want to go on IR. The team wanted to put him on IR. By waiting until today, the window does not open on his ability to return to practice for three weeks from today. If they had done it Monday, they could have gotten him back in three weeks and on the practice field, and he would have been more likely to be ready to go for that game that would be three weeks from this Sunday. So he's quite possibly going to miss four games now because for that fourth game out, he's not going to be ready to go because he can't return to practice until three weeks from today, if any of that makes sense. I think it does a little bit. Yeah. Absolutely it does. And, and, you know, last year the IR rules were much different, Mike. He would have had to miss, what, eight games, I guess, last year, and they decided not to put him on IR last year. And it was the same thing. Well, we might, we might not. He consulted second opinions, and then they thought it was going to be five or six weeks, ended up missing five games. Sort of the same scenario, not quite the length of time that he will miss, but sort of the same scenario when I think they went back and forth and let him get second opinions and try to find somebody to say he would be back after two games, and it didn't happen. Obviously, with them putting him on IR, they knew he was going to be out at least three games. And But yeah, now it's probably more like four games that he's going to miss. But they need him healthy for the postseason. They're going to get to the postseason, but they do need to win the division uh, to get that home game in the first round and, and whatever they can do to try to get home field, which may be gone now. But they do need him healthy in the postseason. That's the key thing. 
but they were 5-0 last year without Drew Brees, so maybe they can do something similar this year without Brees. Again, we're going to have more on the Saints coming up. Miles Garrett, the NFL sack leader right now with nine and a half. He had missed practice all week due to an illness. That was Wednesday and Thursday. The news came out Friday morning that he's on the COVID-19 reserve list, and then came the report from the Cleveland Plain Dealer that he tested positive. The circumstances implied that because he'd been out of practice with an illness, but for whatever reason, he didn't test positive until it would have been yesterday's sample analyzed off-site result late last night, early this morning. That's the biggest name yet to miss a game due to COVID-19. We haven't had a franchise quarterback miss a game and the next most important position in football. Oh, we did have Cam. Never mind. Uh, I still think Miles Garrett right now. I think it's I well let, let me let me try to let me try to let me try to clean the crap off my shoe here. The biggest player not named Cam Newton is Miles Garrett. And, and I, I think as consequential, given the current circumstances that the Browns are in, where they're six and three, they're clinging to the bottom of the ladder of the playoff hierarchy, and they've got six games left. Wait, they're six and three, they got seven games left. Four they should win, three they should lose. If one of those games they should win flips to a loss, that's nine and seven, and that might, that may not get them in. And and if it's enough just to give Carson Wentz more time and have him get out of whatever funk he's in, if if the if the Eagles beat the Browns on Sunday, all of a sudden the Browns are on a track that very well could be no postseason. Yeah, this is huge, Mike. I agree with you. Whether it's the biggest in the NFL this season or second to Cam Newton, however you want to phrase that. But he is as big a part of the Browns as Cam Newton is to the Patriots. There's no question. Does lead the NFL and has forced four fumbles. And I think he was right there in that defensive player of the year conversation. Now, I still think Aaron Donald is the favorite and TJ Watts right there. Maybe he was third in that conversation, but he was right there. And let's face it, the two teams he plays, they play next, the Eagles, they lead the league in sacks allowed with 35. He was going to have a big game probably this week, and then they play the Jaguars next week. So this suddenly has become a huge game for the Browns without their defensive leader. Adrian Claiborne, our Porter Gustin, is really going to have to step up and do something in this game for the Browns. Uh, and they need them, and they need them bad because without Miles Garrett, that defense is not the same defense that we've seen this season. And it more may be on Baker Mayfield, too, frankly, to produce more than he has this season. Yeah, you know, they've got that great running game with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, but at some point, Baker Mayfield may have to win a game, and it could turn into not necessarily a shootout, but it's going to be easier for the Eagles to move the ball and score points than it would have been if Miles Garrett were playing. And this is just part of that, that not quite avalanche. But as Peter King pointed out earlier today on PFT Live, the numbers are way up of positives and guys who are on COVID-19 reserve. And the NFL keeps checking boxes one game after another after another, getting them played. I'm really concerned about what's going to happen after Thanksgiving, after everyone travels, even though the CDC says don't travel, after everyone has mini super spreader gatherings next Thursday while they eat and pass out and watch football and share the virus and take it back to their home cities and a couple of weeks after the fact it could be far worse for everyone that it is now and it could be far worse for the NFL. Stephon Gilmore has missed time with a knee injury. He was kind of sort of on the trade block although it never materialized because of that knee injury. Here he is from earlier today. He is back and ready to go this weekend at Houston. You know when you, once you're out you know you really you know sometimes you take things for granted, you know, and um, I never took it for granted, but it make you really appreciate, you know, the grind each and every day. And, um, 
appreciate playing on Sundays, you know, and, um, you know, you really appreciate, you know, just being out there with your teammates. So um, that's one thing I thought about these last couple of weeks, and um, I'm happy that I'm, I'm back um, healthy and um, looking forward to this week. We last saw him week seven. There was a knee injury that happened in practice during the week leading up to week eight. That ended any talk of a possible trade. He's missed several games, and he comes back at a time when the Patriots are starting to warm up a little bit. The win that was eked out over the Jets, then the more convincing victory over the Ravens. They head to Houston. I still don't know how they're only two-point favorites. I haven't checked the line today. I expect it to move at some point when people realize the Patriots are only giving two and start putting money on the Patriots, and then that'll make the line larger than two. But, you know, Shireen, look, he's healthy. He makes the defense better, and the offense has gotten better. Cam Newton said earlier today that he felt stagnant after he had COVID-19. He previously denied having brain fog, but uh, you look at his play and some of the decisions he made, and maybe he did. Well, he's back to 100%. Gilmore's back. They're moving in the right direction. We had the graphic up earlier of where the teams are in the hunt for the postseason. If they can keep winning games, they have an opportunity to pull themselves back into it. You know what this says to me too, Mike, is how important coaching is. I mean, this is a defense that's ranked 12th in total defense and has been without the defensive player of the year. He won it. Stephon Gilmore won that award last year and obviously is not going to win it again this year. We just talked about some of the candidates, but they have been pretty good. Uh, and, and you consider all the opt-outs they had, too, before the season started. I think they lost eight on defense or something like that. It was an amazing number of guys that, that they are missing this year, and yet they're still competitive on defense. And, and they found a guy named J.C. Jackson, who now leads the league in interceptions, wasn't initially on the uh, Pro Bowl ballot, and now he is, obviously, with the NFL lead in interceptions. So it's amazing what coaching can do. You've got to have the players, too. Uh, but this defense has been pretty darn good, and it's going to get even better without with Gilmore back in the lineup uh, this week. And I, I agree with you. I think the Patriots have a chance here to to make a little run and get into the postseason yet again. And no one's going to be surprised that they end up in the postseason because they're always in the postseason. Yeah, and if they get there, I mean, think about it. Look at the teams that are clinging to those lower levels. The Browns trying to get in. The Raiders trying to get in. I would much rather deal with Cleveland or Las Vegas or even Baltimore or Tennessee than the Patriots in a single elimination setting because that's when the records get thrown out. That's when that history, 20 years of playing in single elimination games comes rushing back in. And even if you have young players on the Patriots roster who don't have playoff experience, you got plenty of guys that do. You have a coaching staff that knows how to get guys ready, that knows how to get guys in the right mindset. They become very dangerous if they get there. I don't know that they're still going to get there, but if they get there, Shireen, watch out. I don't want to mess with them if I'm the Chiefs, if I'm the Steelers, if I'm any of the teams that's playing at home. I don't want them to be the team that's coming to town. Absolutely not. I mean, Bill Belichick's going to put together a good plan. Josh McDaniels is going to put put together a good plan for his offense. This could be a team that's going to be dangerous if they get to the postseason. I don't, I don't think they can win more than one playoff game, but I certainly wouldn't want to play them in the first round. That would be very, very dangerous. They would be a lot like the Titans, what the Titans did last season. Nobody thought the Titans were going to go into Baltimore and win, and then, you know, they, they just get rolling, and those teams roll. And, and they could be that team that, that gets rolling in the postseason not to get to the Super Bowl. I don't think they're, they're there. 
But I do think they would be very da- dangerous to play in that first round. We mentioned the Thanksgiving middle game, the tryptophan bowl between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington football team. Ron Rivera mentioned recently that if Chase Young had been selected by the Bengals with the first overall pick in the 2020 draft and Washington had stayed on the clock at number two like they were, they would have taken Joe Burrow, which is the ultimate slap in the face of former Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins, the 15th overall pick in 2019, who has gone from starter to basically out of the picture in Washington. I'm surprised Rivera said it because I still think they're trying to preserve the ability to trade Dwayne Haskins after the season. Now, I don't know that this comment affects the trade value. If there are multiple teams that come to the table with interest in Haskins, once the quarterback carousel starts to spin in March as free agents become available, as potentially tradable quarterbacks are on the market, I don't know that it changes anything, but it does make it more clear to me that Haskins is done. I mean, when Rivera is talking about potential quarterbacks of the future on the roster, and he mentions Alex Smith and not Dwayne Haskins, that's a pretty clear indication that Haskins is not going to be in Washington next year, Shereen. Yeah, and it may be Alex Smith and Kyle Allen and some young guy they get in there, depending on where they end up in the draft. It could have been be one of those quarterbacks we're talking about being drafted very high in 2021. But I agree with you. I think Dwayne Haskins' days are numbered in Washington. But I'll say this about Rivera's comments, Mike. Can you imagine if the Bengals had taken Chase Young, how many offers Washington would have gotten with that second overall pick? And I would almost guarantee, there's no way to prove this, obviously, but I would almost guarantee they would have traded out of that spot and somebody else would have ended up with Joe Burrow. That would have completely changed how that draft went, and it would have been very interesting. Would have been Miami. Would have definitely been Miami. I still want to know one of these days what Miami offered to the Bengals that the Bengals consistently said, no, 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 no. Because at some point you have to say yes. As somebody pointed out to me at the time, look, you never know where the franchise quarterbacks are going to come from. Just because the guy's the first overall pick doesn't mean he's going to be a great player. You want more opportunities. You want more lottery tickets to scratch off. If you can flip that first round pick into three, Plus more. I mean, look at what Washington gave up to get RG3 and how did it work out? Not that the Rams turned those three first rounders and a second rounder into franchise quality players, but you want more opportunities. And I think that's exactly what would have happened. Miami would have pivoted to Washington and made a deal that Washington couldn't have refused. And uh, they, they would have gone forward with the guys they have. All right. Uh, the Lions take on the Carolina Panthers this weekend. Matthew Stafford has a thumb problem. He is questionable for the game. He undoubtedly will play. Undoubtedly not playing. Danny Amendola, Kenny Galladay, DeAndre Swift, all out. Swift has a concussion. So the Lions are going to be down several key players on offense. With Teddy Bridgewater, and Matt Rule has already mastered the art of misinformation when yeah. it comes to injury, right? He's day-to-day. Well, so was Christian McCaffrey, and now McCaffrey's week-to-week, and who knows when we're going to see him again. And Bridgewater's got the MCL sprain. It sounds like a grade one lowest level of sprain. He limited. He was limited in practice all week. There was a report yesterday that he's not expected to play. Bridgewater has disputed it. Officially, Bridgewater is questionable, which means it could go either way. And since they're playing at home, and they don't have to travel, there won't be the Saturday downgrade of Teddy Bridgewater. So this is going to go right up 
until 90 minutes before kickoff, and that's when we'll find out. Is it going to be Bridgewater or is it going to be P.J. Walker playing quarterback for the Carolina Panthers? And that maximizes the uncertainty, and, and that's how you take advantage of a bad situation with a quarterback injury and you keep the opponent in the dark as long as possible, Shereen. Yeah, no question. And I'm sure Detroit was preparing or is preparing for Teddy Bridgewater to play. I watched the entire press conference yesterday with Teddy Bridgewater, and he did not sound confident, even as he's saying, we haven't decided my status for Sunday. Uh, He did not sound confident like he's going to play. I think we're going to see probably P.J. Walker in the lineup for Carolina. And frankly, I'm kind of excited to see what he can do. I mean, we saw him with the Houston Roughnecks, and he looked really good. I know this is a different league. It's completely different. Uh, But I want to see how he can play in the NFL against NFL competition. We've seen a couple quarterbacks come in this year that we'd never heard of, that had never gotten an opportunity, and play fairly well. You look at Jacksonville and Dallas, and those quarterbacks who came in for those teams as as second stringers, third stringers, fourth stringers, whatever they were, actually played pretty well for their teams. Yes, absolutely. And uh, uh, the XFL, blink if you missed it, but P.J. Walker was one of the superstars of that league, and he has the connection to Matt Rule. So we'll see what he can do if he ends up being the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers on Sunday. Let's take a break when we return, as promised. Cat Terrell of The Athletic on the Saints quarterback situation. Who will we see and how much of each guy, if both, will we see as Drew Brees goes on injured reserve? We'll have that discussion when PFTPM continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. It's still one of the great rivalries in the National Football League, the Atlanta Falcons and the New Orleans Saints, even though the Falcons aren't very good this year. That rivalry got far more intriguing with the news that Drew Brees will miss Sunday's game, likely will miss the rematch in just two weeks, and we don't know what will happen in the absence of Brees. Joining us now to help us make sense of what the Saints may or may not be doing on Sunday when the Falcons come to town is Kat Terrell of The Athletic. She covers the Saints for that publication. Kat, good afternoon. How are you? Doing great. How about y'all? Oh, we're doing great. We appreciate some of your time. Um, 
how strange has the week been given Sean Payton's obsession with keeping from anyone and everyone what actually is happening and what actually will occur come Sunday? Well, thankfully, I've been through this rodeo before, having covered this <laughs> off and off since 2012. Uh, so I'm well used, I'm well versed in the Sean Payton injury weirdness. Um, this week was probably up there, though, because we did not get to talk to a single quarterback. Um, didn't get told who we were talking to until like five minutes before interviews started. I mean, that's how much he did not want the Falcons to know who was going to be starting this week. Um, it, it kind of made me laugh because uh, someone mentioned, you know, there's a report that Taysom Hill is starting. He said he hadn't seen that. And if you know Sean Payton, he's seen it. But, you know, it all indications are that it's going to be Taysom Hill. And, hey, I'm excited. I, just like anyone else, I don't know what this guy can do. So, I mean, I'm really looking forward to this game. Doesn't it make it easier for Peyton to keep it all kind of vague and amorphous and ambiguous because of the COVID-19 rules, because you can't get into the locker room and maybe pull someone aside or maybe somebody lets something slip? You're only getting a small handful of access to coaches, to players, and it's a different kind of sanitary environment where you're talking into a camera. There's no opportunity for off the record, none of the normal things we would see. Doesn't that make it easier for them to, to keep it all under wraps? I think so. I mean, Peyton, more than anyone, knows that these things get out. He's been doing this forever, um, but I think he'd much rather get out on Friday than a Wednesday. And coaches always worry about that stuff. They worry that we'll go up to someone in the locker room and they'll let something slip, just like you said. And it makes it a lot easier for the team to contain that when the players are just staring into a computer screen and they're not and, you know, kind of a relaxed environment where they might accidentally say who's starting. So, yeah, I mean, that definitely works in their favor this, this week. Kat, after going on IR, obviously Drew Brees is going to miss at least three games. And he missed five last year, and they went 5-0 and without him. Do you feel as confident about this year's team that they can continue to operate at that level, continue to win games without Drew Brees? I think they can. I did predict them to lose this week just because I think – despite the fact that they've been on a roll, I think the Falcons are catching them at a good time where the Falcons are playing a lot better than they were. And the Saints are dealing with a lot of injuries, plus the unknown of, of starting a, a quarter or likely starting a quarterback we don't know much about. But I think they can win without him. Do I still think they need him? Yes. But I think that this team has kind of gotten to a level where they've shown they can win in all three phases of the game. They have very good special teams units. Defense has been a little erratic this year, but they have shown when they put it together, they are a very good defense, so they're capable of it. So, yes, they can win without him, but they do have some tough games coming up. Luckily for them, it's right at that mark where he might be coming back. They have the Chiefs in a month. They have the Vikings on Christmas Day. So he could be back by then. Cat, what's been the vibe around the team in recent years with Taysom Hill being a jack-of-all-trades and now in a position to be the quarterback? We know how Sean Payton feels about him. We've seen what he can do. He's getting a lot of money. Some would say that maybe they're overpaying him because they don't use him as much as they should. What do the teammates think about Taysom Hill? Well, I think anytime you have a player that shows up in – consistently has this ability to make the big plays on game days that people respect that you against the Vikings. Most of the team was struggling last year in the playoffs. 
no one really did much of anything. And then you take Taysom Hill and he's um, ripping off these big yardage gains and he had that huge throw to Deontay Harris. And he hasn't done as much this year, but he is a guy that has this ability just to turn it up on game days. And I think his teammates are looking forward to, you know, seeing what he can do um, as an actual quarterback. Maybe, I mean, they've obviously seen more in practice than we have, but I don't think even they truly know what they're going to get this weekend. But, I mean, I do think that his teammates are very supportive of him and behind him, especially Drew Brees. I mean, he and Brees have a great relationship and have for a while. We know that Taysom has had limited chances at quarterback in the NFL, and and Jameis has a lot of experience. He threw over 5,000 yards last season, 33 touchdowns. What are the chances, Kat, that we see both of these quarterbacks on Sunday or moving forward beyond this week? I think this week, going off the assumption and reports and everything that it's Taysom, I think that we only see Taysom. Going forward, I don't know because what if this ends in disaster and they have to go back to Winston or what if they're thinking of a way to involve both of them? I don't really see a two-quarterback system going forward, to be completely honest. I just think that they would be too concerned about what would happen if one of them gets hurt and then they they don't have a third quarterback on the roster right now. That could change with Breeze going on IR. But even if it does, it would be someone who's just coming in off the street so right now, I think it's kind of Taysom Hill's audition. You see what you do with this, and, and then we go forward from there. Um, but it, it's really intriguing just because they're so different. There's so little we, we know about Taysom, and we've seen so much of Jameis. So it, it's, it's kind of like a wild card. I did watch both of them in training camp, and I actually thought that Winston had the better training camp. I mean, I thought he was going to be the backup coming out. But you still saw those problems with Winston that have kind of dogged him his entire career, and you even saw last week. He just has this tendency to – he shows off this huge arm, but he also does that by overthrowing receivers or making bad decisions. And um, Hill is just, you know, really different. He's more likely to run the ball if something goes wrong than to maybe force it um, into double or triple coverage. So um, they're both kind of fascinating, unique quarterbacks and so different than Brees. There's been an assumption in some circles that this is going to be Drew Brees' final season. I remember Sean Payton had a misstatement that he had to try to clean up in the offseason, that this is Drew's last year. What's the the vibe among the folks who cover the team? Is this it for Drew, or is there a chance he's back next year? I think the general consensus is that this is it. And most of us felt that way going into the season, uh, just all the hints, uh, Breeze taking longer than normal to announce he's coming back. Um, Breeze just talking about how this is hard on his family. You know, everyone thinks that when a quarterback gets older and it's been in the league forever, that it's easier for them because they don't have to work as hard. Well, in reality, it's actually the opposite because, you know, as their bodies break down, they have to work even harder in recovery and treatment and things like that and making sure that they can get through game day. Well, now we're getting to a point where the last two years, Breeze's body has kind of shown that maybe it's wearing down. I mean, I know the thumb injury could have happened to anyone, but this accumulation of the rib injuries and the shoulder injury and all the the hits he's taken, um, all 43 of them this year I counted, I just think that it's probably all a way of saying or all signs pointing towards this is the end. But he does surprise us. 
Awesome stuff. We appreciate some of your time. We'll check out your work at The Athletic, and we hope to talk to you again down the road. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Kat. All right, there she is, Kat Terrell of The Athletic. When we return, our weekly feature, What Can't We Wait to See When Sunday Rolls Around? We'll do that when PFTPM continues right after this. Right, Andy, we've mentioned a couple times the uh, victory lap you guys took in KC in the first, in the first game. What exactly was the victory lap, and uh, is that something that uh, you think about this week as far as bulletin board material or anything like that? Not really. I mean, you can find a smart Alec bus driver in Kansas City who made some snide comments when we got on the bus. Maybe that's why we drove around the stadiums to tick him off. You know, this is ridiculous. Next question. Listen, they won the game, so... They, they can do anything they they want to do. Uh, uh, they end up winning the game. That's no, not our style, but we'll we'll get ourselves back, ready to play. And it's just as important as any other game uh, in the division, no matter if they took the victory lap or not. It doesn't mean anything. You guys got to understand, I was raised in this division. I played with the San Diego Chargers back in the day, so we understand what the AFC West is all about. Now, maybe the, the bus driver took a wrong turn and, and had to just circle the, the, the stadium. But none of that matters. It really doesn't. <laughs> awesome stuff from the week that was. The, the, I'm trying to think of a good name for it. I don't know. I don't want to use gate, right? Gate gets applied to everything. Regardless, yeah. did they or did they not take a victory lap? And why did they do it? And does anybody really give a crap going into this weekend? That's the best I can come up with. Uh, Shireen, week 11 is upon us. It's time to talk about the things we can't wait to see. And we selected that amalgamation of sound because that leads into your first choice. It does. I want to see if the Raiders can take another victory lap on the Chiefs. And, you know, hey, whatever gets you motivated. But it was hilarious to me that this came from the Chiefs, considering they're the team that, among other things, in 2016, if you remember, they were blowing out the, the Denver Broncos, and they decided to have Don Terry Poe, out of fun, throw a touchdown pass in the final two minutes to, to run up the score on the Broncos. So, you know, these rivalries in the AFC West, like a lot of these divisions, are intense. And this is one of the most intense rivalries in football, and I am excited to see this one on Sunday. And the Chiefs last year, they avenged a couple of losses. They avenged a loss to the Texans in the regular season, did that in the postseason. They avenged a loss to the Titans in the regular season in the postseason. They get another chance at the Raiders before the postseason even gets here. And look out Raiders who've had some COVID issues this week that's going to make it much harder to duplicate what they did the last time. Yeah, that's absolutely right. All those guys on the COVID-19 reserve list, plenty of them eligible to come back, but they won't be prepared for the game, and that gives the Chiefs a bit of an edge. And the Chiefs, when their full focus is devoted to an opponent, they seem to be much better because think about it, week in and week out, they're always getting the absolute A-plus game of everyone they play. It's a measuring stick. It's a mini Super Bowl. Can we take down the champions? The Raiders, unfortunately for them now, we're fortunate enough to do it five weeks ago, which only means you're not going to sneak up on the Chiefs this time, and it's going to be a challenge to slow them down. So maybe the Chiefs will be taking the victory lap around the giant Roomba in the desert, which is the new Raiders stadium. <laughs> All right. I can't wait to see what Aaron Rodgers does against that vaunted and underrated Colts defense. They won't have Danico Autry this week. He's on COVID, but they have plenty of other great players and 
the story about Aaron Rodgers all year long has been what help does he really have? Aaron Jones has been banged up. He should be good to go. Devontae Adams is banged up. Who knows what he ultimately will be able to do? Marquez Valdez-Scantling was great last week. So, you know, there is help for Aaron Rodgers, but maybe not enough as they face arguably the best defense they've seen all year. And this is an opportunity for them to continue to, to tighten their grip on the number one seed in the NFC while the NFC West teams fight amongst themselves and weaken each other's records and while the Saints try to hold on with Drew Brees out this really is the chance for the Packers to run away with home field advantage and the all-important only one team gets it per conference by that's going to be available coming up in January assuming the playoff field doesn't expand to 16 Shereen. Hey, you know what, Mike? We talk about motivation. Darius Leonard said he wanted to prove to Aaron Rodgers that he was the best linebacker in football. You'll remember back in that 49ers game, Aaron Rodgers went up to Fred Warner and said, you're the best linebacker in football. Well, Darius Leonard heard that, so he snapped back this week and said Lamar Jackson was a much more dangerous quarterback to face than Aaron Rodgers. So this thing's getting really interesting here with the Colts, the number one defense in football, and wanting to prove that. Uh, and Matt Everflus, frankly, uh, has to be right up there in assistant coach of the year with what he's done with that defense. They've been terrific. Yeah, and, and the team, you know, they have that up and down vibe, but they have been far more up than down. They just kind of get overlooked. They slide into the big spot at 425 Eastern, thanks to the luster being gone from the Cowboys and the Vikings game. So we'll get to keep a close eye on what the Packers and the Colts can do against each other. Both need the game. All right, Shereen, what else can't you wait to see? I can't wait to see a rematch between the Ravens and the Titans. We talked about some of these games in the postseason that we saw. And, you know, we remember Derrick Henry running for 195 yards and Lamar Jackson didn't play like the Lamar Jackson who won the MVP award in the regular season. And they really, frankly, kind of dominated that game. And a lot of the moves that the Ravens made in the offseason were intended to stop teams like the Titans that could really run the ball. They traded for Calais Campbell. They signed Derek uh, Wolf. And now you have Campbell and Brandon Williams are injured, and they've got to have guys step up, and they didn't last week. And the Patriots ran for 173 yards against them. So I think Derek Henry's going to have a very big game in this game. But this game, to me, is very crucial for both of these teams with where they stand. Neither team can afford to lose this game. The Titans have been on this mini kind of losing streak over the past four games. They have not played well. They're in a nick and nip and tuck race with the, with the Colts for the division. And then the Ravens are just so far back of the Steelers. Important game for both of these teams. And a point that Peter King made earlier today on PFT Live, the loss of Taylor Lewan, their left tackle for the season, that coincided with the dip in the offensive production. Still was strange earlier this week when quarterback Ryan Tannehill was the one explaining to the media why there's been a deliberate effort to reduce Derrick Henry's touches. They were 5-0 and when Derrick Henry was getting the ball as much as he was, but maybe that absence of Taylor Lewan makes it harder to generate the kind of offense they had. But this is huge because one of these two teams – could end up missing the playoffs, and whoever loses on Sunday and falls to uh, six and four is going to be in a potential mess down the stretch because the AFC very competitive for those playoff berths. I can't wait to see, even though the game itself means absolutely nothing. Joe Burrow, the first overall pick in the draft, and Chase Young, the second overall pick. At one time, Ohio State teammates Urban Meyer tweeted out that photo of Chase Young trying to sack. Joe Burrow in practice and 
looked like he was not respecting the quarterback don't touch him jersey in the photo that Meyer tweeted. But Joe Burrow has been touched plenty by defensive linemen this year. He gets hit a lot. He keeps going. And I guess one thing he has to be ready for is the possibility he's going to be hit after he throws the ball because that's what Chase Young did on Sunday to set up the Lions for the game-winning field goal. I doubt that Chase Young will ever do that one again. But that adds a little luster to a game that otherwise you look at and say 2-6-1 and one versus 2-7. and seven. Who the hell cares? That's a reason to care about that game. It is, and Chase Young has a chance to get back in the defensive rookie of the year conversation. We've kind of forgotten about him. He had two great games, got hurt, and then started getting double teams when he came back. We kind of forgot about him, but he has a chance now, Mike, to get back in that conversation. All right, what do you have next on your list, Shereen? Well, I want to see if the Cowboys' best player, according to Jerry Jones, is going to show up against the best running back in the NFL this season, and they go head-to-head. I mean, they're not on the field at the same time, obviously, but Ezekiel Elliott, it, it was curious to me that Jerry Jones today called Ezekiel Elliott the Cowboys' best player, and I, I don't agree with it. I don't even know if he's their best running back. Tony Pollard has averaged 4.4 yards a carry to Elliott's 3.8. Elliott leads all running backs with four fumbles. And you know what? He's almost 400 yards behind Dalvin Cook in the rushing race. He's not going to win it. He's won it two times. Dalvin Cook is the reason that the Vikings arrow is pointed up. And to me, Ezekiel Elliott is the reason the Cow, other than losing Dak Prescott. But he hasn't stepped up since Prescott got out of the lineup. And that is the reason the Cowboys arrow is pointed down, even though they remain in the NFC East race. I don't know what Jerry's thinking saying Ezekiel Elliott's the best player on the team, but he always has his reasons, even if there really is no reason for saying whatever it is that he chooses to say. And I don't write the Cowboys off in this one. Uh, The Vikings uh, defense has been suspect at times, and that two weeks to get ready and Andy Dalton coming back, maybe they can find a way to play like they did a couple of weeks ago against the Steelers. And maybe – uh, it's not it's not an emotional hedge or reverse jinx. It's just reality. It's you know, we should have some sort of a wager on this game if we either yes. of us gave a crap about either of these teams right now. They both stink. They, even though the Vikings have won three in a row, they got a long way to go to truly get themselves into playoff contention. And they've got three straight home games that they should win. And if they win all three of them and go into Tampa Bay seven and five, that's when I'll start taking them seriously again. All right. One thing that I continue to take seriously, and I hope the league takes it seriously, and I am not, this isn't something I can't wait to see in a, ooh, I'm excited for it. It's more of a constant gnawing anxiety that we are just one moment away from an announcement from a team that a huge swath of players is going to be placed on the COVID-19 reserve list, and they just can't play their game on Sunday. So it's a constant gnawing nervousness that for me it it's it's getting greater and greater as we get closer to Sunday because even though a lot of us in the media and a lot of fans have become desensitized to this constant stream of hey there's a guy on COVID-19 hey there's another guy I mean we've had a few more pop through just during the time that we've been on the air Shireen uh and uh I, I just I have this dread that at any given moment, the first game that's going to be postponed and not made up unless there's a week 18 is coming. And I think once they cross that bridge, it's going to be hard to not have more games. I think it's just, it's indicative and it's reflective 
of what's going on currently in society. And football has been its own kind of ecosystem where it's been able, professional football, not college by any means, professional football has been able to wall it off. I think the walls are crumbling. And that's not, oh, I'm trying to jinx the NFL or I'm rooting against. It's reality. It's reality, folks. And anybody who cares about the sport and wants to see the full season get played would have to have a sense of dread right now that, that this may not hold together as we get deeper and deeper into the year and as the virus spreads more and more. One team's fan base, Mike, that probably wouldn't mind having a game postponed or canceled is the New York Jets. And I can't <laughs> wait to see if they're going to get their first win because they I think they have a chance this week, a slim chance, but they do have a chance. But they are running out of chances when you start looking at their schedule. Cleveland may be on December 27th. New England may be on January 3rd, but I'm not thinking they win. To me, this is the best chance they have for a win they have left on their schedule. I agree with you, and uh, I, I, I know that Matt Casey is saying, please don't win. He wants Trevor Lawrence. We want to take a break. When we return, we want to answer your questions, the best questions we got today, as we open the PFTPM mailbag right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Yellowstone Season 3 starring Kevin Costner comes to Peacock exclusively on Sunday. Whether you're a newcomer to the ranch or a seasoned pro, you won't want to miss this epic season. Stream Seasons 1 and 2 now so you'll be ready to go when Season 3 drops on Sunday. All right, PFTPM Posse has a question for us, Shereen. Let's get right to it. Most dysfunctional NFL franchises, and not only on-field results, let's put the whole organization under consideration from out-of-touch owners to business side operations to locker room culture. Let's start with, in your estimation, the most dysfunctional team in the NFL right now. For me, it's easy. And I tweeted about this last week after they fired their PR person, but I think it's the Houston Texans. And I think they've been a different organization since Bob McNair died. And I don't know who's in control. To me, it seems Jack Easterby's in control. I have no idea who's in control, who's running this organization, what direction they're headed. No GM, 
interim head coach. I don't know what they're doing. They're firing people. They're doing different things. They traded DeAndre Hopkins. This, to me, just seems like a franchise that's headed toward the bottom, and I would guess or bet or at least think that Deshaun Watson has had some second thoughts about signing that contract extension. It makes for an intriguing future because if he gets to the point where he decides, I don't want to be part of this anymore, what can they say? Because if your franchise quarterback isn't all in, if he's not going to be the guy that you need him to be because he's not fully engaged, you don't want that situation. And just because Bob McNair was successful in you know, amassing the fortune that was able to start the team back in 2002, that doesn't mean those abilities pass through automatically to the Sun, and the Sun cow could have a problem. I'm going to say Washington – for mine, even though they have tried by necessity to make some dramatic changes, it's still a work in progress. And the fact that they're two and seven underscores, there's a long way to go. And as long as Daniel Snyder's the owner of that team, there is an element that the people that are being brought on board to try to make it better are going to have to deal with, Shireen. So uh, I, I think that even though I like what they've done, they're still vying for that title of the most dysfunctional. And the Jets are very jealous that we didn't mention them. And I also think you could put the Jaguars uh, in that conversation as well. There's a few teams there that we could talk about on that topic. And the owners of the teams that do well, they love having a handful or more of dysfunctional franchises because they can just write them off. Every, we don't have to worry about these teams. You know, th- there are people around the league who are firmly convinced that in any given year, there are only 10 or 12 teams that actually have a chance to win the Super Bowl. Everyone else is just kind of there. And the good teams like it that way. They don't want every team to be great. They don't want every team to be functional. They want some bad teams around so they can get some easy wins. That's it for Friday's PFTPM. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here on Monday. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.